0: Welcome to Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point, the B2B marketing podcast where we show you the proof in the form of case studies and success stories, and we get straight to the point so you can learn something valuable and get on with your day. Each week, we'll feature a top B2B marketing leader and discuss their revenue-generating strategies. You'll get actionable tips and learn how to accelerate growth through seriously smart marketing. Now it's time to have a look at the proof and get to the point with your hosts and founders of Proofpoint Marketing, Mike and Gabby Grinberg.
1: Welcome to Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point. We are so excited to have Ben Reese with us today today. Ben is the marketing director at DCS, Dimensional Control Systems, and Ben is going to talk to us today about a really awesome content strategy campaign, SEO campaign that he implemented at DCS. So Ben, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Gabby. Thank you, Mike, for having me.
1: Yeah, and well, let's get right into it. Can you give us a brief overview Of the campaign. But before you do that, let's, we like to start with the end in mind. So what did this campaign produce? What was the end result of this campaign? What did it, what did it do for your team and the folks at DCS?
2: Obviously with every company, they want your marketing team to to make leads, right? That's at the end of the day, what they're going to measure you on. So after implementing this, it's been a few years now that we've been doing it. We've increased our revenue, and our lead generation that comes in from our inbound campaigns, from about, you know, three to 5% of our mix to about 52% of our new, our new prospect mix. So a great deal of our new business now comes from this general campaign that I started. It's also increased our web traffic by an enormous amount. I think I told you about 1000%. And those leads we get you know, we get almost, a uh, almost one lead every business day. Now when you average it out and for a small business like us, who, you know, we don't need to close a lot of deals during the year because our average deal is, is fairly, you know, fairly robust. So that's a, that's a huge amount of business, you know, as a B2B client, that's quite a bit.
3: Yeah. When you talk about, uh, you know, the 52% of uh, of revenue? Are we, I'm assuming we're, we're talking about like 52% of net new, like marketing sourced revenue. No.
2: So that's basically
3: all, uh, basically our, our overall new product
2: sales. So I think we're at like 52%, um, inbound and, uh, you know, web leads. And then I think we've got 40%, um, come in from our existing customer base. And then we have, you know, roughly 10% from our, Other campaigns, which includes events and uh, you know some of the other things that we do, Um, we've really found that the inbound is very, very impactful because you're you're not interrupting clients, you're also letting them guide themselves through the sales process, at least the initial stages. You do want to be a part of it, as you know anyone who's taken anything in sales knows that if you're not there early, you're going to let somebody else determine what their you know what the requirements are, which is a good way for you know companies to hedge out their competition early, but it, it does allow those initial stages to be taken by the the client. And most customers, especially in a B2B, when you're working with educated people who are busy. So they don't want someone constantly badgering them and constantly filling their inbox with stuff, right? They want to be able to kind of take it at their their own pace. And many of them have been assigned a um, an investigative task by management. So it's something they have to do, you know, and they want to be able to look at it f- from their perspective and not have a salesperson, you know, possibly use smoke and mirrors or pressure sell them or force them into a decision, you know. And so this really allows them to then um, convert at, when they're ready to talk to a salesperson when they've got questions and they kind of understand what it is you do based on the content that they've been able to to view and uh, consume.
1: Absolutely, and and I think you know especially over the past 18 months but but maybe even before that we're seeing so many changes in the way that marketing and sales are working together and approaching their ideal customer personas you know it's it's not just hey sign up and then i'm going to get you into my into my in, into my system and we're going to start spamming you but it's like you said it's it's having a strategy that brings them in that pulls them in rather than you know pushes it out to them
2: push marketing and that, that's what i what a lot of times we refer to as interruptive marketing right yes if you're on the page and the whole screen blacks out for your pop-up and you're you're constantly sending them stuff you're trying to get into their text messages and you, you're just you're you're fighting so hard for their top of mind right that you've now burned out your your relationship with them you know you, you have the negative impact based on that. Same problem you have if, for example, if sales dives in too early and tries to force sell them, a lot of times, even if it's something they need, they haven't come to that realization that they need it yet, but they, they, they just have this person they feel like is bearing down on them and you've now burned the opportunity without them ever even looking at the product because they're so busy becoming defensive and you know fighting back against what they see as an invasion. Mm-hmm but they haven't even, they haven't paid attention to anything that's been shown or
3: said. For sure. So how do you, because again, there's this sort of, you know, the, the word lead and B2B can sort of sometimes be a, you know, a, a four letter word, right. In terms of a dirty four letter word in the sense of what, you know, what is that MQL? What is that lead? How quality is it? Et cetera. So, I mean, it sounds like you've really figured out how to control that and how to sort of, you know, get that transition from marketing to sales at the appropriate time. What is the definition of, of lead for, for you guys? So yeah. oh,
2: that's actually, um, and it does feed Gabby into what you were coming towards. So, um, I work in an engineering firm uh, everyone is very specific on vocabulary, which is good because I am as well. Right. And so, uh, we have what we call prospects, we have leads, you know, and then we have customers and clients. And those are the th- the three big pillars. You know, there's stages in between, but those are the major pillars. And a prospect is somebody who showed interest, right? So there's maybe I'm doing a drip campaign, or they've signed up for one of our webinars, you know, or they've downloaded some content. And I have a pretty hands-off style when it comes to our prospects because I want them, you know, I want them to want our product and to be interested. And one nice thing about being in kind of the product mix that we're in. Is even if they're looking at one of our competitors, a lot of times they're going to want to find competing products to that. And there's not a ton of players in that field, so you no, know, we might even come up in, in that kind of um, arena. A lead is somebody who's asked for content by the, a salesperson. They now want, you know, or they want either a quote or a demonstration of our, our products or have a conversation with a the salesperson that they they are now ready to enter the buying process. And oftentimes, you know, we'll self-qualify even that, you know, check, okay, well, you know, do you know what it, this is that you're looking into? Do you have any initial questions? You know, I can a lot of times use a video to replace an initial demo. So I'll send them a video of a, a, a kind of a recorded demo that, that we did as a webinar. So it's almost like a conversational demo. And then we'll try to get them on the line with an, an expert on the product and a salesperson. So instead of you just showing that the nuts, basic nuts and bolts, now we're talking about very specific question and answer about their product, their process, and about them. And we're not going to go through a whole two-hour session of just hammering them with questions. We're going to say, here's what our product does and its basic configuration. All right, show your team, schedule a time that's convenient for you and your team, and we'll have our person with some live stuff ready to answer and show answers to your questions so we can do it direct and we'll do a little research and try to have a, a model of something related to what they do. So it's not, you know, like they make cars and we're showing a, a phone.
3: I love what you're saying in terms of the, this kind of, we'll call it a pre-qualification almost where it sounds like the, you know, the marketing is sort of owning that for any inbound. Right. And then are you also then like, let's assume they respond to that email with some questions. Are you fielding those questions or is that, that at that point get passed over to sales?
2: So I try to I try to hold on to prospect as long as I can before pe- making into a lead. Everyone has horror stories about salespeople, but when it comes to my salespeople, we have a small sales team. That when they get somebody who's a little farther down the sales cycle, they'll they'll work their butt off to to make, you know, to move heaven and earth for those clients. But our sales cycle is very intensive. There's a lot of touch points for it, which means it's hard to juggle a large amount of clients. So if someone's asking basic product questions and they're not ready to enter the sales cycle yet i don't want them they've got other things they need to be doing so i'm trying to keep those people from gumming up our sales until it's time for them to start making real progressive moves so yeah i will do my best to to handle those and bring a support person in to handle those questions in fact so much to the point that um you know we have a live chat on our website and i manage it directly from my phone and i work i'm a, a manager in the company so when you live chat, you're not talking to some third party group. You're not talking to a, a support person that just joined the company. You're talking to somebody that can literally say, okay, hold on. Let me walk into the CEO's office and ask him that question.
1: You know, it's interesting that you you said that, uh, Ben, because in preparation for the show, I went to the website and sure enough, your chat box popped up and there was your photo. And I thought, oh, well, that's, that's interesting. I thought Ben was, was, you know, director of marketing. What what's what's his picture doing there? And so that really helps to illuminate that for us and for others listening, especially if you're in an organization like yourself, where you know DCS is a very, it's a very niche uh, software organization. You are servicing companies that also have very specific industries. And I I liked what you said in that um, you know you have a very small but mighty sales team. And really, to make sure that you're providing the best experience, both for that transition from prospect to lead and also for providing the best. MQLs to your sales team, you're hanging on to to these, these prospects for a really long time. And that's really refreshing both to hear that and to, and perhaps we can get into later on in the show, a little bit more about your strategy on how you you're hanging on to these prospects.
2: One warning before we go there, and that's uh, a volume warning, right? So volume of, of, of chats is a couple a day, you know, if you're looking at, if you've got a much larger market, you've got a much higher volume. Our, our process just isn't reasonably doable, right? But because we're niche enough that we don't have a huge volume, but each particular sale is very important to us. It means that we want to spend more time on each particular prospect or leave and make sure that they don't have to jump through hoops, right? I mean, there are a couple of ISP companies that I, I won't drop any names, um, but you know, some of them rhyme with rtt and uh you know if you try to call a customer support call in you know you're going to be bounced around six seven times they can be very very frustrating if you have a simple question that you need a yes or no answer to you know, before you can move forward you know why not just have somebody who can answer those questions who's qualified picking up that phone you know or the case the chat you know on my on my phone
1: and know. and that's a great distinction to make because you're right there are certainly some organizations where having a single point person is maybe not feasible or not realistic
2: right. i do have a team that manages it um, but i try to be like the initial touch they all come they all come to me first and a lot of times i would be like okay well that's outside my wheelhouse so i have somebody from the support team and i have someone from it that also kind of like an eye on it and uh, so that way i can get them immediately roped in so instead of me having to be like okay i'll have you them call back you back in the next three days it's like all right give me one second i'll knock on a door and they just jump right into the same chat
1: yeah yeah. you know and, and keep the problem
2: fixed.
3: no but that that's what you bring up is really important i'll I'm taking us a little bit outside of the what we're talking about but i think it's important to, to highlight because the, the resourcing and the staffing for live chat is extremely important. Like you said, like what you guys are doing probably won't work for a larger organization. That's a different staffing model, but you still have to staff for it appropriately. Otherwise, it can actually be it can actually be a detriment rather than a help. Right. Because if somebody has to go into a whatever, an automated bot that says, Are you here for this, that, and the other? And it's pretty much just a form and a matter of a chat bot. Yeah. That doesn't actually help. You're not answering any questions. Or if you have to wait for 15, 20 minutes or hey, sorry, no one's available. We'll get back to you tomorrow. Send us an email. It's like that's not
2: a like chat. Yeah. That's not. It's not the exact opposite of what live chat's there for. It's for quick, high-level answers, right? That you don't want to go, t- spend five emails back and forth. It's like, look, I got a quick question, yes or no answer, you know? Do you have someone who can do training in my country? Yes or no, you know, right? Like, do, I, do, do, they, do we need to spend two weeks going back and forth to answer that question? So, no, yeah, yeah, here's a, a link to them, you know? Here, do you want me to introduce you to them via email? What's your email? I'll introduce you, great team, you know? Yeah. And, and in five minutes, they've already got an email introduction and that person's already like, hey, what can I do for you? Let's set up a call. You know, it's happening fast now, because like you said, in the last 18 months, uh, I mean, we've been trying to do this for a long time. And the companies that have already been doing this, you know, they hit the ground running when the pandemic hit. Well, the companies that have still been playing at old school really got hurt and had to play catch up.
1: Yes. Yes. Well, and this is really, like Mike said, we are a bit off tangent with the with the topic, but it's super valuable information to share because I think that uh, there are a lot of listeners out there. In our- Before
2: you say that, though, we're not off topic in the sense because you're asking, you know, when does my prospect become a lead, right?
3: Right. And
2: the trigger for them to become a lead is generally when they communicate with us; they're ready to start the sales process. The reason we started live chat is I wanted the lowest amount of barriers for someone to be able to communicate with us. For every touch point we have, human to human, we have a much, much higher percent chance of final conversion or of converting them directly through live chat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd have to say, I mean, we're only at like seven or 8% of our inbound are right now converting through live chat, or I'll talk to them a live chat, and then 48 hours later, they convert through one of our forms.
3: Yeah, I was, I was just going to ask you what the percentage is. Do you happen to know off the top of your head, like what um like whether live chat interactions have a higher close rate than you know forms versus uh, anything else
2: oh yeah for sure a thousand percent yeah absolutely um and we're not even as aggressive in our live chat as a lot of companies are i take the passive route um Mm -hmm. trying to educate more than capture um so it's not just a form right it's like answer your question first and then i'll start asking you about yourself but if I don't need to know who you are and you don't want to tell me, that's okay. And that's one, of the, the, that's one of the greatest things of live chat, right? Because you can stay anonymous so that they don't stick somebody on you. You know, like I have a quick question, but I don't want to talk to a salesperson. I just need this question answered and I can't find it. Yeah,
3: that's my. That's always my favorite with live chat. I just have a quick question. What's your email address? What's your phone number? Where do you live? It's Oh, my God. I, I don't, no, I'm not dealing no, with this. No, don't
2: do that. Just answer my question. <laughs> just yes or no, you know? So we try to lead with that. We try to be very, like you know, passive about our, our lead capture that way, which is probably one of the reasons why we don't convert quite as many on live chat, but fits our strategy more. Yep. Awesome.
1: Well one of one of the things that I that I wanted to say is that, you know, in, in 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 prepping for the show, you know, I went to your to your LinkedIn page and something that stuck out to me right in the center was, you know, the three principles that guide you as a marketer are you know humanity transparency and honesty and i think that this mini case study here that we just dove into uh really illustrates that absolutely as as who you are as marketing leader and and kind of your philosophy on 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 the difference between a prospect and a lead and how you're and how you're really teeing up those leads for your sales team which is in in our definition um the the perfect example of sales and marketing alignment is, is making sure that those MQLs, the leads that are coming in from marketing are indeed a lead and they are indeed ready to talk to someone in sales. So I, I I just wanted to put a nice bow on what we just talked about because it really (laughs) is, it's not only illustrated in your LinkedIn profile so eloquently, but you also really brought that here to us in this example. So. Yeah, I
3: try
2: to live. my three principles as much as possible. Even if it's, I mean, I got a. I got a, a product manager who hates when we, you know, when you accidentally say something negative about the company, right? He wants everything to be, you know, flowers and roses, which is, I understand you you don't want anything poking at your your, your software. I, I totally get where they're coming from. But when your customer gets their hands on your product, stuff sometimes goes wrong. You know, not everything's great. Not everything's hunky-dory on their side. And they sometimes get frustrated. And if you can be transparent about those experiences and say, yeah, and own them, you know, really own them, like say, yeah, you know, there's something wrong with it. We're trying our best to help you. Don't forget, we've got these support channels mm-hmm. if that happens. But yes, if we, if we have a live webinar and the software crashes, instead of making up a bunch of, yeah, da, 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 I let the person doing it like, oh gosh, you know, my, my thing crashed again. You know, uh, this doesn't happen that often, but it does happen. And everyone watching is like, yeah, that's right. happened to me too. Like that's really yeah. annoying. And the guy just picks up and goes on with it. He's like, yeah, well, you know, one of the things I do that, that helped me keep, keep it from crashing is I do this, that, and the other. And all of a sudden you've turned what could be a negative into, um, yes. you know, a, a teaching moment, you know, or a, a way to connect with your audience. Well,
1: ben, I think that's a, another topic for another time, because let me tell you, no, no, no. I, I, I love the topic. And I think if we go down this route, we will just never stop because I think that's, for me, that's a big pet peeve when companies, it doesn't matter what, you know, B2B, B2C, whatever it is, when there is a little snafu, when something doesn't go right, when your vendor or partner or, or supplier or whoever it is that you're working with um, doesn't come through in the promise that they made or in the expectation that you have as, as the client, the worst thing that they can do is deny it, or put the onus on on the other person or don't take responsibility or simply refuse to admit that this was not the best experience and and we've we've experienced i'm sure everybody listening today has a has experienced Big that these stories it,
2: are when they try to fight it you know it makes the yes, story. stories if you just own it and try to fix it you know you can you can bypass a lot of pain and you can get in front of it you know if you talk to a a, a pr company one of the first things they tell you is if something starts going wrong you got to get in front of it so you can lead the conversation don't be don't let anybody put you on your back foot because if you're on the back foot all you're doing is reacting you have no control over the situation now you did not let it happen or you tried to fight it saying it's, it's not real or it's not your fault or you had nothing to do with it you're giving your power away you know you're giving the whole control away so yep
1: yes well, it's, it's a
3: matter of it's a matter of trust and trust is so important, especially these days. And I think it's one of the things that we do for, we try to even make it even more front and center, like when we work with, with clients in terms of like case studies and things that I mean, that, you know, the general format of a case study is okay, here's, here's how awesome we are, you know, problem solution results. And it's like, okay, but I guarantee you there were blips on the road there when you got to that result, like, let's talk about those because if you put that up front, People that see it go, oh, well, if they're honest about that, and like like that trust factor just goes through the roof. First, everybody knows your case study is going to be just the cream of the crop, like the best thing you ever did. So it's even like things like that that I think people don't think about. It's always, oh, let's just talk about the great things. And there's, there is... There is value to some of that, some of those negative things. Well,
1: Mike, we do want to talk about the great thing that we do. That, that Ben implemented. We, let's get back to the proof here. Let's, tell us let's about, talk yes, about thank you for getting your, us back on track. Yes, let's talk about your case study. So we introed back into the beginning of the show that it was around a content strategy. So you shared with us some really exciting and high-hitting uh, stats on that. Tell us, what was the campaign all about? Why were you having to, you know come up with it and, and, um, kind of set the stage of what it was and, and what, what you were tasked with.
2: I'm in a small company. So like many small companies, your marketing department said, make leads, do what you need to do. Right. And then if I need money, you know, I I put together, you know, a a project with a cost associated with that project. We try to push that through. So I'm not really given up a top budget, you know, and I'm not given a ton of direction, from from the top, which actually gives me the ability to go out there and find what the best practices are and what could probably work best for us. Implement that instead of you know just going through a robotic process or something that might have been passed down from somebody who doesn't specialize in that. And uh, we kind of caught the we were we were listening and, and and really got the feel that content marketing was really where things were going a number of years ago. I think in twenty twelve, and you could really feel that. You know, um, companies like Google and even you know Bing and the other search engines were starting to really crack down on black hat practices for SEO and really pushing people to to just drive out content and provide content to your audience, and they're going to reward you with SEO for that content for the right content. So then I looked at our company internally and I was like, okay, so I need to start creating a content generation engine within the company. By putting together some special purpose teams. Well, we didn't we've never done anything like that before. And if you go and talk to somebody whose job it's been to, you know, modeling CAD or to program with software and say, hey, I need you to write four articles a week for the next 10 years, they're gonna look at you like you're absolutely crazy and they should. You know, that's that's not gonna work. You can't just start assigning people content tasks and expect them to hit the ground running and be all excited about it, um, especially if you're in the manufacturing sector like I am. You got to find other ways to do it so i was trying to find some other way to create content that I could then feed you know the other channels and then find a, a good way to present that content to our audience so through a partnership i was able to get into um, a webinar and do a webinar with one of my modelers and they showcased you know a model and how it worked and went through it and explained everything really good and i had this nice video afterwards and i clipped it into little pieces and then i Used the transcript to write articles, and then I went back to our website, and I was like, "Well, all the things they said basically explained our product how we wanted it explained." So now I know what to put on my web page too, and I used pictures from the webinar for our product picture. So I basically created one 45-minute webinar and got over 20 content pieces from it, right, that I could then feed through my multiple channels. And then i started doing keyword research right and this is where the voice of the customer came up where internally i had internal players telling me that you know here's what our product does and i'm listening to the words they're using i'm like i don't know this i mean everything you're saying is 100 percent right because they're i mean the people i work with are experts high-level experts in their field they know what they're doing but the problem we have is our customers don't actually know what we're doing or how to do it yet right they're not experts in what we do. Okay, They're experts maybe in engineering as a whole or a certain kind of engineering. They want to implement what we do into their process, but they haven't learned how to do it yet. So they don't know what it's called. They don't know what everything's called. They don't speak you know, the language of our particular terms yet. So if we use our terms and we're a small niche business, I mean, if you're massive, like a $15 billion company, you can create your own terms and those will become search options on SEO. You could do that. Um, We've got industry partners that have done that. But as a small company, you need to ride the waves. So you need to listen to your customers and use their terms for what you do, not your internal terms. Once you bring them into your ecosystem, you want your ecosystem to take their term and your term and use them in the same places so you can start equating the two together and start that training so when they talk to your salespeople and your engineer who's doing a demo uses your internal terms, they're like, oh, is that what this is? And they're like, yeah, except... It's that but more specifically it takes it to the next level and now you're educating your, your audience but you can't get them to you by using your own terms you got to use their language and finding that out isn't always simple right you might have to talk to your salespeople and get them to let you listen into sales calls or sales meetings and that can be hard because you know a lot of times they're they're making these meetings on the fly or things are happening or they may not want someone listening to them because you know they It feels a little bit too big brother. So what I found is our in-person events that we do, that we have a booth at, I like to use for something other than just straight lead generation, right? Those are your opportunity to talk to 70 prospects or even people who might not be prospects but are in your industry one-on-one, one after the other. So the first thing is you follow your three key concepts of marketing, right? Human, transparent, honest. So you don't stay in the aisle and just start badgering everybody. Instead, you approach everybody like a human. Ask them about their day, how they're experiencing the event. Let them talk about themselves. And don't just hammer them with your elevator pitch, right? And then say, hey, you know, we kind of do this. What do you think about that? Are you doing anything like that? And tell, let them tell you what they're doing that they think is relevant to what you do. And listen to how they describe it. And that's how you have to describe it on your website and in your collateral. Don't make your internal people talk about it that way. I mean, you can try to get them to, le- to to reference it, but this isn't like change how everybody in your company talks. This is how do you get the customer into your front door, you know, comfortably? I found that that was the most powerful tool I had. User conferences. If you ever have a user conference, it's like oh, it's gold. You know, make sure you have a beer budget that's out the window because you need to take in- Every moment, you need to be taking someone out for beers and getting them talking to you. Because I've learned so much from just listening to our customers at conferences, what they hate about our software, what they love about our software, what they love about us, what they don't like about us, you know, and what they did before us, you know, and even listening how they talk about us, because a lot of times they'll translate what we do into their own internal language. Mm -hmm. that's what you're trying to get at as a marketer, right? That's what I'm after.
1: And I, I, a lot. I'm just shaking my head at everything you're saying, because we actually uh, experienced that internally at Proofpoint. We had some language on our site. And so I'm curious, because you mentioned something, and I wanted to talk to you about it. You said, you know, you don't have to get your internal team to change the way they talk. But I'm curious, because if you know the website anybody's website is their 24-7 salesperson to some extent it's their it's their first brand ambassador out there on the web that's working for them day and night across the globe when you're making changes to the way that you talk about the company or you talk about the product or the brand and it's not something that's necessarily adopted internally What are you doing as a marketer to make sure that your colleagues that are in other parts of the, you know, maybe not marketing, but sales or customer service, or how are you taking the learnings that you, that you gleaned from, from those user events and talking to your customers, how are you taking that and making sure that everybody in the company is on board with that or is under, is is aware of those things?
3: Well,
2: two things. One. When they get in front of the customer, the customer asks using this language, right? So when our salesperson or our engineer are in the meeting with the customer, the customer is gonna use that language and the salesperson, um, I mean, our salespeople are, are, are quite good. They're gonna say, okay, what do you mean by that? And then they'll say, okay, great. So we do that plus more and we call it this because when you have a one-on-one with somebody, you now have the opportunity to educate them and define your terms. If you're just presenting something to them or you're trying to catch them with SEO you can't don't think of, you're not educating them yet you've got to get them in the door first before you can educate them right they have to realize that you do what they want first and then you can educate them on your terms and your language so almost like i let the customer educate them a lot of times the second thing you, well and that also is nice because when we when we get onto the wave of a new process or a new big keyword like right now model based definition is all the rage for a good reason, because it's a good way to define, you know, incorporating everything together so everything talks, right? And um, everyone internally was like, you know, it's kind of a fad, or we don't do that, or we're not really a part of that, or we're part of something more specific. I'm like, guys, 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 this is what we do. We're a part of this, relax. And the customer keeps coming to them and saying, hey, you're part of our model-based definition rollout. Look at how you can fit in, look at how we can do this. And it's like the customer educated them on the marketing terms and then they educated the customer on our specific internal terms so the two could then mesh together. That's one way to do it. And the other way to do it, uh, kind of a sneakier way to do it, is by influencing your content creation. So since I use webinars as a lead for our content creation, I have a lot of influence on what the webinar titles are and how the content kind of fits. So I can feed those terms into the titles and the content of our webinars. So that our presenters are like, okay, I see you're using that. What does that mean? I'll explain it to them and then they'll kind of build that into their presentation. And I have a big thing on like mm-hmm. 2080, you know, 20% PowerPoint, 80%, you know, live, whatever it is you can do that's not PowerPoint. Um, we try very hard to do that when well, we can. So, you know, even in the PowerPoint, I'm like here, use this one slide as an intro on how we fit into this MVD process before you go into talking about what specifically we do. Um, so those are the two ways I kind of try to mm-hmm. communicate internally. But if someone's an expert on what they do, you can't show up and say, Hey, you've been calling everything the wrong thing. Use these words instead. You know, you can't do that. You know, you got to say, Hey, this yeah. is kind of what we're trying to feed into. Can you just incorporate this a little bit into what you're doing? And then the customer is going to tell them what they call mm-hmm. it and what they think it is. And they're going to have to match what we do internally to what the customer thinks anyway, in the sales meeting. But they won't ever make it to the sales meeting unless i use the customer's terms to get them there you know
3: yeah this, this very much reminds me of like when this was a while ago when like 3d printing was just kind of becoming big oh, goodness. I was i was working on uh stratasys is the was, was the company you know, we were, like there their people were like oh yeah it's fdm it's fdm I'm like yeah no everyone just calls it 3d printing no matter whether whether they're a maker or a or like you know the the billion company that needs your machines, you know, whatever. That's exactly what I'm talking
2: about. And then when they get in front of the customer, like, look, we do 3D printing, but more specifically, we do FDM, which let me show you why it's better than what you might think it is and what it specifically is. Let me define it for you. And now the customer's like, oh, yeah, that's what we want. That's what we want to do, you know, and then you're able to educate them then on, on the terms that better define what it is specifically you do. Right. But you're not going to get them there unless you say, you know, we do 3D printing They're like, yeah, I want to do 3D printing. Yeah. You know, but they don't know. They may not know anything about it yet.
3: You know, so I want to kind of get into some of the details around like what types of content like, OK, you, you know, we you mentioned all the way back to 2012. You found this opportunity. You mentioned webinars already. That that's a that's a big part of what you do. What what else? Like what other what other types of content? Are we talking blogs? Are we talking white papers? Like what, what else are you doing to get people in? So let me the
2: second element that was really important to me, um, and that was the keys to the castle. So, for when we first, when I first started here, you know, we had a, a third party host for our, our website, and it meant that I had to kind of like put stuff through them in order to get changes in the website. Um, a big companies naturally, you know, you're going to have to go through a whole process in order to update your web pages. That that makes sense. But trying to get as close to that. End point as possible, I feel is very, very important for a marketing team because you want your website to be a living, breathing thing. And I'm not just talking about your blog, which should be, you know, constantly updating. I'm not just talking about your video channel. I mean, your, your, your core web pages need to be alive. And you can only do that if you're able to update them regularly and you want to update them regularly, you know, because your products change the conversations, your customers change your content needs to stay up to date. So, one the, the second thing I did was kind of take over our content management system for our website, so I can do fast updates to our web pages. Sometimes too fast for my own good, um, and things get put up that aren't, you know, re- maybe ready yet. Um, but I prefer to err on the, the 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 getting content out there rather than being so cagey with it that you know you end up leaving a desert, you know, where you're not going, people aren't going to be interested
3: progress, not perfection.
2: Yes, exactly. Because the whole point of a website is you want people to come back. If they come to your website once, they can see everything in five minutes. They're not going to come back. if they're not going to come back, they're not going to convert because you don't convert on the first time someone visits your website. That's not how that's not, nobody does that. No one, I mean, it's like window shopping, right? You know, your first visits, your window shop. And then the second visit is when you go into the store and start actually touching and looking at things. So you want your, your website to be alive. So every time someone comes back, they're like, oh, this is new, or this is different, or I didn't see this before, or oh, this tells me a little bit about more what I'm interested in. you know. And the blog is the most powerful way to do that, but you need your core pages also living and breathing, um, which then brings me to the content, right? So you got to build multiple content channels, and you want to bleed over without copying. So you know we've got our video channel, so I use clips from our webinars and from demos that we do there, and then we have our on-demand webinars, which are farther down the pipeline, right? So a little closer to the close stage rather than as high in the funnel as something like a, a two minute video. And so those are form gated. But all those clips are not so you can find those in search, you can just find them on YouTube, and you can watch them without having to go through any steps. The same thing with our brochures, So we've got our brochure text sheets, we've got our, you know, our short articles, which are, you know, two, three pages, we have our white papers, which are much more technical in nature. And then we've got even some of our white papers presented in one hour videos, right? And those, that creates a, a clear delineation down the funnel of the interest level of your particular prospects. And in, in my opinion, you want to gate only at the middle of the funnel and below, right? Because I feel like the, the, the people are so excited about big data that they're like, I want to collect as much data as I absolutely possibly can as often as I can. And then you ask them, okay, what are you doing with it? And you're like, well, we don't do anything with it until they get to this point. I'm like, okay, so anytime someone wants to touch your site at all, you're asking for their name, their email, their phone number, and their address. When they want to look at a text sheet and they're not even sure that they that you fit what they are looking for. I'm like that doesn't make any sense. So we don't even gate our brochures and our tech sheets. You know, you click on the link, you just get it. Because I'm not gonna put you into a drip campaign yet. I'm not gonna start hammering you with emails.
3: You Know and that's the I hope so that's the worst part of it, right? Where they'll do that and they'll still put them into the drip campaign or even worse, yet yeah, kick them over to sales. Hey like, hey, they downloaded the white paper, their lead score is fifty, go and bombard them so, with phone calls. It's like, oh god.
2: Yeah, don't do it yet. It's too soon, you know. You're you're interrupting. Now you want to maybe maybe you can do something to guide them. Um, so if you have a really light drip campaign, maybe, but not till they've You know, hit a a score of 30, I guess, downloaded like 12 brochures and a white paper and some other. Okay, they're interested, you know. And the first part of the drip campaign should be, hey, did you find everything you're looking for? Here's a link to more content you might not have seen, right? That should be the first bit. And then the second bit, you know, if you can, say, try to relate it to, to what they're looking at or who they are. Now, us, since we have a small team, I can't get as granular as I love to be. You know, I got all these dreams of yada, yada, you know, I can't do it can't do it so um for our drip campaigns they're all pretty light but my conversion for those to get people to sign up for a webinar right where they can see something hands-on we have live Q&A during the webinars which I got three people just chatting with the audience during the webinar you know
3: quietly on the side really quick just Um, just make sure everybody got it is what you're saying is early on, whatever content they look at, once there's a form, your drip campaign is to get them to sign up for the webinar. It's not to kick them over to sales. Correct.
2: Correct. My conversion there is to get them on a webinar, right? So once I can get them into my webinars, I build my webinars as a series, a yearly series. So if you sign up to one, you've signed up for the whole series, right? You can unsubscribe anytime you want, but it also means for my long-term customers, they don't want to have to keep checking that. They're like, look, I want to see all your stuff. Just give me all your stuff, right? Like I don't want to go back to your website. Know who you are. I know everything about that. I've been using your software for ten years. But I like the webinars. Can I just can I just sign up for all the webinars? So to appease those, you know, they sign up once, or I sign them up once for them with their permission, right? GDPR, yada yada yada, right? But uh, you know, yeah, yeah, they they have an opt in to what I call my um, I I I forget, I have like a little club I keep of all of my like power users who (laughs) want everything that we produce. And I automatically they're automatically set to sign up for everything we do. So they don't have to keep checking back because they're busy. They got a job. But for for other prospects, like as soon as I get them into the webinar, now they have a chance to basically see a demo. And none of our web most almost all of our webinars are not high level. They tend to be mid or lower levels. They're technical, they've got real meat and juice, you know, they're something heavy and thick. Um so you're going to see something cool or powerful or in it's going to be one of our, our senior engineers on there. So if you ask them a question, you know, I've got them, I've got a product manager, you know, in support. So I've got like high level people who can answer all your questions. And from there, most of the time when people see a webinar, they're like, oh, that was pretty cool, but I wonder if it does this or I wonder if it does that. So then they go back to our website and now they're looking, now they've got questions in their head, right? You've piqued their curiosity. Now they're mm-hmm. starting to really kind of get more interested. And, and it takes longer than others, but a lot of times they'll go back to the website and they're like, oh, you've got 140 webinars on demand that I can sort by topic. I'm like, Yeah. So now they can pick and choose a couple that are a little bit more specific to maybe what they're looking for. And now they're ready. Like, okay, you know, I, I, I got more questions about this. Maybe I should talk to somebody. Right. But that's, that's my core foundation is get them set for the webinar. And now I can, I feel comfortable drip campaign feeding them stuff. And watching them. Mm
1: -hmm. So let me ask you a quick question here, Ben. So you mentioned earlier in the conversation that once they sign up for one webinar, they've, they've kind of, they're signed up for all of them. So question for you, how many webinars do you produce in a year? And when do you plan the content for each webinar? Do you do, do you have like a, a planning day where you plan all of them out or are you planning them on a quarterly basis? You know, kind of tell us how you do Yeah,
2: this. That's, that's actually a really good question. So we do we try to do a minimum of thirteen a year. Um, some years it's more, some it's less. This year we had a global technology conference, one of our user conferences, we did virtually, so we did thirty four in a week and a half, um, which was a lot. In fact, <laughs> too much. But I got greedy on content because I was like, look at all the stuff we can make. <laughs> um, um, the, mar- so, the marketer's uh,
1: dilemma, right? Too much content, yeah. too much. <laughs>
2: so, but I try to do thirteen a year. Um, give or take, and we try to take a month or two off during the summer, and it's the last Thursday of every month, like clockwork, all right, every last Thursday, and then um, some of our hot months will we'll, we'll sneak one in at the beginning of the month, like the second week, which will be a supplemental topic, and then what I do is I meet with, I, I, I set campaigns or series, so even though it's my 2021 series, I'll have a three or four webinars that will share a general topic, and so I'll meet with somebody in the company, I'll pull them in who is expert on that topic or who I'm going to be leveraging as a presenter, and we'll have a sit down, we'll brainstorm the topics for it. And then I'll give me a general content calendar we'll put out there to start generating interest with some brief write-ups. And as we get closer to each event, a lot of times it changes a little bit, you know, based on if we have somebody else present, or if something's changed in our software or, you know, so it's like those aren't necessarily set in stone, but I try to stick to them. And I try to be at least six months out if i can um, I found that being more than six months out just hasn't been um feasible um for us as a small company a larger company you know a lot of our i see a lot of our larger con you know friends and industry partners and such they're out you know 12 13 months which is wonderful but um, since I'm the marketing department you know we do it with what we got and six months tends to be pretty good uh, because Anything farther than that, your customers aren't really paying attention anyway. You're just kind of dog earing the resources and trying to get on people's calendars internally, not necessarily externally yet, but internally. So that way, you know, your training manager doesn't schedule that person for training, so they don't get put on a big project. And if they do, you know, it, it sets off a flag, and they come to you like, "Hey, I was scheduled for this thing. I got this other thing. What do we do now?" Instead of you just getting like the day before and they're like, oh, yeah, I I forgot about this. I didn't realize I was doing it, you know, and I got scheduled for something else. And now I have to backtrack on the customer. The last thing you ever want to have to do is retract anything or move dates. You want to do your absolute best not to move the date or cancel an event. If You have to change the topic or change the presenter. Okay, you know, have a backup, but don't move the date and don't cancel it, right? because you're eroding truck.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I think six months is a really good, you know, when we think about content calendars for our clients or even internally at Proofpoint, you know, two quarters, you know, six months seems like a good amount of time because it's You know, you want to also put things out that are timely, that are important to your customer, uh, and things, as we all know, things can change very quickly. So uh, sometimes having a 12 to 13 month uh, calendar, while it is convenient, um, may not always be relevant once you get to week, you know, month eight.
2: This is something that's another hot tip for marketers, especially if you have a small team. What I do in every January is I do a 12 month content calendar. All right, it's very loose and it's very general. So, a lot of times I'll just use like a a long tail keyword as a topic for something, right? Or I'll say, uh, Oh, we put out a new product release every year. And generally, we do at least three events around that product release. So, I'll say, Okay, so my August, September, October webinars are product release. I'll just put that in there, right? Because, especially on a small team, brainstorming doesn't work as well as shooting down straw men, okay? If you go to a sales meeting or you go in front of your CEO and you just say, hey, I want to do a webinar next month, what should we do it on? You're going to walk out disappointed. All right. You're not going to come to something. You're going to be wasting everyone's time. It's not going to work out the way you want it to. Instead, you want to walk in and say, hey, next month, I have it in my contact calendar. We're doing a webinar on this. Is that possible? And they'll be like, oh, well, that's kind of like this other thing. Why don't we do it on this instead? Or, oh, hey, we have this other person free. Maybe they could do it, but they're they don't really know much about that. Should they get trained on it or should we change the topic, right? You need to have a straw man for your sales team and your management team to shoot, shoot at or burn down on you. But always come to the meeting with something on a piece of paper, like here's what we're doing. And tell them that, right? Because if you're leading the marketing group, you're you're a decision maker too. You know, don't play it too passive. Just get in front of them and say, here's what we're going to do. How do we make this work? And they will respond. They might fight you on it. Like every one of my meetings with management looks like a battle, but I always walk out with a smile on my face because I've gotten, I've gotten decisions made, you know, it's not a bunch of yes men just like, oh, this one's fine. It's like, no, that won't work. We have to do this instead. I'm like, fine, we'll do that instead. And walk out like, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. I've got something to do. So we're good to go for, in my calendar.
1: <laughs> okay. You know? So, bottom line, if you're if you're leading a team of content marketers, or you are uh, the team that that leads content marketing, have a plan. Even if it changes, even if it if if your internal SMEs are going to say no, this topic's not going to work, or we need to change this topic, at least you are presenting. The plan rather than asking for permission
2: to talk about right right something to talk about and you're right you're not just asking permission to do something you're saying we're already going to do something right something's going to happen. In my mind, this is what it is does that make sense to you, yes, and I mean you're you're probably working with subject matter experts, you know I work with a lot of 20 year veteran engineers who know more about engineering than I. I will ever possibly know in my lifetime.
1: Well, Ben, you could you could you could easily tell somebody that you're an engineer on TV. That for sure.
2: I <laughs> could <laughs> conferences just to get people at our door, and then I hand them off to someone smarter than me. But um, but yeah, but they they want something to talk to, right? So throw something up there, and if it doesn't really make sense, have them explain to you why it doesn't make sense, and take notes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know?
2: Have them teach you their language, but yeah, always walk in with something, you know. And so, at the beginning of the year, I try to put something like that together, knowing that most of the topics I just put together are never going to exist, but it gives us somewhere to start. Yeah, I,
1: you know? I love that advice. I think it's it's brilliant advice for any marketing leader that's that's leading content, big or small company, B two C or B two B. This show is B two B, but but I think it applies to any marketer out there. Yeah, I think
3: it's definitely for any marketer out there, no matter where you are, because we even do it with. Our, I'm thinking like our process I mean we generally have our clients respond to something rather than just doing a flat out brainstorm like hey here's content strategy here's what we think what do you think doesn't fit or what do you think is missing rather than hey let's do this thing together because it's just never going to get there
2: as a marketing company I'll tell you what one of the things that annoys me the most is if a marketing firm comes to me and they they just don't have anything right they come mm-hmm. to you and they're like okay now you tell us what we're going to be doing and I'm like I hired you to help <laughs> me get this figured out <laughs> I gotta be all myself. Like, why are you even in this room? Like, I can, I can do this. I'm good. You know.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, so yeah, bringing something initially, even if what you bring to the table is is wrong, or you just copied it from the competition, right? Like, that's that's great because then you're like, oh, here's what your competition's doing. Uh, how powerful is that? Do you want to align to that same messaging, or are they going a different direction than you? Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know that's real important. I mean, one of the first things we did is we took a look at what our competition was doing, what they were winning on, and that gives yeah. you a good place to start if you're not, if you don't have anything to start with. You know, you I think
1: I think Honestly. as as marketers, um, you know, we we do this internally, and I and I, and I think it's immensely important whether you know whatever kind of marketing or organization you're working with. If you're in marketing and you're not doing an industry scan at least once a month to look at not just competitors, but, you know, other, other companies in the space oh, yeah. that, that, that may be similar to you, but not necessarily competing on the same uh, clients or the s- same industry, but a competitor or industry landscape. If you're not doing that once a month. Yeah. We're working in that
2: too. And I think it's, what you're saying, uh, just in a different way of saying it. Um, I think you're you know, hundred percent, right. But look at what your mm-hmm, customers mm-hmm. are doing yep. and talking about. Right. So it's not yep. so much what your competitors and what your industry is, but what are your customers doing? So we're tied, you know, deeply into manufacturing. So everyone we talk to is a manufacturer. So what are they trying to do? What are they talking about? What is going on with them? You know, because they're the people you want to talk to. So, I know what they're yeah. talking about, and then align yourself
1: to that. Well, Ben, let's kind of recap here for our audience. So the content strategy uh, campaign initiative that, that you started. Yeah, let me summarize it for sure. you. Sure, go ahead, please do. All right,
2: so we had we had an old website and no content. So because we didn't have any content creation internally, I started with webinars and used those as a way to comfortably use the people that are used to doing demos to doing presentations, That I could then take up those apart to use for all of our different content channels in a different way. And that start, and as my people became more and more comfortable doing webinars, I could do more and more of them on a broader range of topics. And every time we do a webinar, I can turn that into a paper. I can turn that into a series of small clips. I have a webinar on demand. I have a web page. I have a blog post, multiple blog posts. So you can do one about it coming up, one about it afterwards, and you can do about one of each of the video clips, even if you want to. So you can create a great deal amount of content something as simple as that so you need to create a content creation strategy and then i got my hands on the website and the, the keys to the website so i could update it myself quickly and regularly so now our website our blog all of that is alive and constantly updating which not only seo loves but it gets your customers coming back and those two things together create a content marketing strategy that brought our customers back over and over again and feeds them new content every month that they that they're interested in And that is, you know, important to them. So that way, you know, it's not just a dead thing that sits there and waits.
1: Absolutely. And just for our listeners, Ben's content strategy increased traffic to the website and the blog by over a thousand percent. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. You should see our numbers from our user conference week. Woo!
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> awesome. Well, you've showed us the proof. Now it's time for uh, the part of the show where we get to the point, point. and here we encourage our listeners to do this at home. Right? You you often hear uh, you know TV shows or, or warnings says don't do this at home. Well, we're the opposite. We say we're bringing on the experts to this show, marketing leaders and and top marketing leaders uh, in the B two B space to tell our audience exactly how they can replicate their revenue-generating strategy. So let's break down this even further. We talked a little bit about this, how come January, you're putting together a um, 12-month, very high level at this point, still very high level of the topics. And sometimes this could be based on a keyword or events happening in the company. But so that's kind of step one is having at least the shell of of a content strategy or topics in place that
2: also says what channels you want to do, right? Right. So you're deciding in January what channels you want to do. So I say, okay, we're gonna be doing a blog this year. We're doing webinars this year, and then I've got here's the web updates we'll be doing on which month, and I, I title those as a campaign too because I don't ever update the whole website at once, except like once every five years, right? But you'll say, okay, I'm doing this product this month because we've got a new product release the month before. So then I'll update all the web pages that following month. So that tells you what channels you're going to be having and rough ideas of what things you're going to be doing in those channels. Mm -hmm. Right. And that kind of gets you in the right headspace, so you don't get overwhelmed. Um, and then you can tie it together. So I do, I got my webinar set for February. So that means my first blog post in February promotes that webinar. My second blog post promotes content related to that webinar we've done before. My third blog post is after the webinar, right? So it, it gives you a brief about the webinar and gives you a link to watch it on demand. My fourth blog post, Breaks it down into like a, a little white paper or something like that, or a, a different content piece, you know, explaining maybe what and, and maybe in deeper, more technically what we showed in the webinar, yeah. right? And often that, now you can even pull that from a training manual.
1: Yeah, and and I'm wondering, Ben, uh, if you can tell us a little bit about how you determine what channels you're going to prioritize for your marketing efforts. Sure.
2: So, in my opinion. You got to be careful you don't overload your, your team. In my case, I have a small team. I use myself and I have a series of free agents I tap into as I need to so I can expand my team. You know, I have some writers I work with if I need some content real quick. I have an event planner I can call if I need some help on that regard. I got a couple of creatives I can call if I need some um, creative work that I can't do myself. You know, so I, I, can, I can operate even though I'm one person as a much larger team. And having this content calendar kind of gives me an idea also of, of which agents I'm going to need to use. Mm-hmm. Um, but You want to kind of start at the base level, right? So since content is king and everything is digital now, more so than it was before, and it was a lot before, the first thing you want to do is make sure your website's up to date and you've got website updates, right? Because that's, that's your company online and that's your face to the customer. Second, you want to make sure you've got a blog. And With a blog, the most important thing is consistency. Second, most important thing is content, right? So you want good content, but it's almost more important just to be consistent and get something out there and done. You know, just have constant stuff going out there. If you don't have a good piece of content, talk about something you have coming up. Talk about something you did before. Recycle something, right? But blogs are extremely important. They're weighted heavier than web pages when it comes to SEO. So they're very, very powerful for capturing keywords, especially ones that have a lot of competition. So your, your blog is going to be your, your, your masterpiece Trojan horse weapon that you can use, especially if you've got big competitors and then video, you know, videos are enormous webinars. Everyone is getting into webinars now. It, and a lot of people were getting into it before, but now it's like, it's, it's the, 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 the bee's knees and webinars, you know, you want to, don't make them all PowerPoint, you know, and if you are going to, do you have to make them PowerPoint? Do this right? Have a person's face on it. But those you can use webinars to generate all of your other content, right? And they're not as hard as they seem. Yeah. You have to jump off the dock into the water and just do them. Even if you have nobody sign up for it, still do it. Don't cancel it. If you have zero sign ups.. Yeah. still do it. Because the people who show up on the live webinar are icing on the cake, right? They're, they're fantastic. But what you should be after is that recorded video. Yeah. That's the magic treasure box, right? So don't cancel it just because nobody signed up. Nobody's going to sign up for your first web. My first webinar, I had four people attend, right? My last webinar, I had you know we had one hundred and eighty-eight people attend one, and we had a thousand people sign up for it. You know, it and that's eight years difference. But we get an average of sixty or seventy people on our webinars and for B two B. We count that as fantastic. Yeah, but. We get those content pieces afterwards and those live forever. So don't, don't back away. Don't be shy.
3: Yeah. Like that. That's extremely important because a lot of the time you'll get, you know, uh, especially the sales team or somebody going, Oh, how many people signed up? Oh, you know, do we really want to do it? What did we do wrong? And it's like, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just just do the thing and take the content because you can, that does so much more yeah. after If that. you just do one yeah. webinar during the year and expect everybody to sign up for it, that's not realistic, right? I mean, it, Especially these days when, like you said, everybody's doing them so that we're all bombarded with webinar invitations from every email list that we're part of and every company we follow. Yeah, and- they
2: expected that, you know, you're going to have four times your viewership on demand than you are going to have live. And what about if you're international? We're an international company. I've got customers in South Korea, China, Japan. If I have a webinar at 11 a.m. here,
1: right.
2: they're not going to be here at 1 o'clock in the morning in Japan watching it.
3: Right. You know, right. It's
2: realistic. Right. So you can make that on demand and have that. Even if no one signed up here, someone there might be interested. You know, so make sure it goes through. Go through with it. Yeah. You know, if you bug out from underneath your customers every single time you get a snafu, they're not going to trust you to do anything and they aren't going to they're not going to sign up for stuff.
1: I'm wondering, Ben, cuz one of the things that I was talking about on an uh actually on another ep- episode for this show with with another one of our guests was the fact that Uh, kind of along what you're saying that, you know, even if you don't have a ton of signups or you do have signups, but not a lot of people show up, um, do you have any stats or or even if it's anecdotal of people that signed up for a webinar, ended up not being able to attend for one reason or another, but then consumed the content, you know, afterwards at their own leisure. Do you, do you have some stats around what that percentage is?
2: Imagine number is 30, 40. Okay, so 30 to 40% of your signups will show up to the live event. The rest will either watch it on demand or not watch yeah. it at all, which is why you want to make sure you have that after email with the on-demand link going out to that whole list, putting it in front of their face to remind them of it. Because I, I sign up for a lot of webinars and I forget about them, right? And I shoot my email, I'm like, oh, you know, maybe I do want to check that out. But yeah, 30 to, if you expect more than 30 or 40% of your signups to show up to the live event, you're lying to yourself. People are busy. They got other stuff to do.
3: Right. When things happen. When last minute stuff comes up and the web, the webinar from company XYZ is always, you know, bottom of the priority list. If you only have four people show up, make it the best event
2: possible yeah. for those four people. You know, don't make it stink just because you only have four people. Then those four people are going to be like, wow, these are awful. I'm never mm-hmm. coming back to one of these. And then word are mouth get out too.
1: So I, I love that, we, you know, the webinar as a channel and as, as a content stream is your, sounds like your your main vehicle um, for nurturing your prospects and converting prospects to leads. W- tell us a little bit about how you, ma- you, you just said, make that, that webinar, the best experience they can have. Tell us a little bit about how you try to make that the best webinar for your listeners. Like what, what are some tips or tricks?
2: You sometimes, I get nervous too. And sometimes I, you know, I eat the frog and I, I do the wrong things, you know? Um, so That's okay, you got to get over that, you know, you're going to say something dumb on your during your webinar, you're going to sound like a robot the first few okay. So for me, the most important thing is something that you guys told me at the beginning of this make it conversational right people don't want to listen to a robot. They want to see a person what I've gotten the habit of doing also and you guys are like perfect at doing this is I never have one presenter for a webinar ever I always have what I call the color commentary. So I have somebody assigned to that webinar who their job is to present nothing at all. Their job is to, to sign on, listen, and to, to jump in and add additional points to the presenter, ask the presenter, or discuss something a little bit more detailed the presenter might have said. And it becomes almost like a radio show, like a radio talk show. And if you've ever listened to radio talk shows, which are the most popular? The one we have one guy or one woman who gets on and they're it? or you've got a cast of like three ridiculous characters playing off of each other.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, it, th- thank you for that, that compliment, by the way. Mike and I have had some um, some, ex- some experience both at work and, and outside of work. <laughs> but, um, you know, I completely agree with you. I think that, you know, if you look, you don't have to look too far in our pop culture to see that there's always sort of this idea of Fire and ice, you know, Laurel and Hardy and Tom and Jerry and Mike, what's another one that I'm not thinking of right now? But you know, yeah, you,
3: you, you stopped me. Uh, I wasn't ready for that.
1: One. <laughs> and hutch uh, there we go. you know, and I like that strategy. I think that definitely humanizes the webinar because you know what? They can get pretty tedious when it's just uh, you know, a monotone or a monologue. My
2: biggest pet peeve. Ooh. Right. And they're just going through it. You're like, oh goodness, I don't have time for this. And you either minimize it or you leave. Right. And then, right. You haven't, there's not real value in there. Plus then when you try to reuse it later, you got all these boring clips, right? I got some real characters at my company and they are yeah. phenomenal. And they train a lot of our customers. So Our customers know them and have joked around with them or we've gone to beers together. You know, I had one of our customers yeah. during the, the Q and A session was sending me like, um, was sending me little jokes to play on one of the presenters, you know, so we were kind of praying, playing some practical jokes on one of the presenters during the event, you know, and me and one of our customers were just laughing the whole time about it. it was hilarious, you. you know, and just having some fun with it because <laughs> you know, people present to people, right? Like, yeah, just, do that. I think this, it's really important yeah. that you
3: bring this yeah. up because there's a lot of, content and conversations out there, about, you know, how do you make the best, you know, the best virtual event and the best webinar and this, that, and the other. And there's a lot of focus on the technology and whatever. And it's like, sure, there's some of that, like there, maybe a little bit, but the reality is, is if you have to make it, like you said, you have to make it human because people, people like other people. Exactly. I mean, we improved our quality and that made a big difference. I got to admit that,
2: you know, sometimes the technology is important
3: yeah. to a certain um, level,
2: but no, yeah, you want to make it entertaining.
1: Well, and I, and I like what you said, Ben, about, you know, bringing in the characters of your company. I think the greatest, you know, it's been said before, not by me, but but by everyone that, I mean, I say too, is that the greatest uh, asset in any company is their team.
3: Before we go to the lightning round, um, you mentioned, you know, you, we just mentioned the team and you mentioned uh, a couple of, um, I forget, did you call them hired guns or freelancers? I forget what you called them. but. Within your, how do you get those subject matter experts within your team to help out with the marketing? Like what, what is it that you, because I think a lot of especially companies that are similar to you will struggle with that. Like, how do you get the subject matter experts who are, especially if it's like a service-based company where they're literally their hours, the hourly rate is, you know, dependent, you know, doing the actual work. Sure. Yeah. We have a
2: service team that is part of our service company. And um, so it started with tapping the demo people that are part of the sales group, that support the people, right? Find your demo jockeys, because they're used to being in front of a customer and doing a presentation. Start with their recordings, okay? And get them to do your first few webinars. And you might have to fight somebody, but, you know, treat it like it's a sales, you know, talk to them like, this is a sales presentation, it's a sales demo. We're gonna do the sales demo. We're trying something new. Get the people who are used to doing sales demos. And then show dividends, right? To your CEO, and then your CEO will be like, "Oh, this is awesome. We need to do a bunch more of these." And then try to see, try to have your other people then say no once your CEO is like, "This has to be done, right?" But it is a lot of grooming and getting people used to it and comfortable with it. So I I coach the presenters when I bring them into it. Like even if I'm super nervous, I try not to let it show. You know, I remind them to breathe. Don't put your hand near your mouth. And if I can, I try to be in the same room as they are when we're doing the event. So I can sit next to them and almost, I mean, I'm not holding their hand, but I'm metaphorically, I'm holding their hand, right? Because it's scary. You know, you got 70 people watching you and what you're doing and listening to what you're doing. It's terrifying for a lot of people, especially technical people. And so you got to make it as easy going and fun as possible. For the longest time, I was the call commentary because I couldn't get a second person assigned to it, right? We didn't have the people or the man hours. Now I've got three people that do every webinar with me because it's gotten so much value now in the company, that I have somebody that all they do is the Q&A chat, I got someone doing color commentary, and I got someone presenting, and then I'm just, I just do the intro now, right, and get out of the way. Right. But before, I do the intro, the color commentary, the, the, the Q&A session, the, the chat Q&A, I did all of that, you know, and have some questions ready, you know, for that first one, you know, poke them a little bit. Be like, oh, hey, you know, you mentioned that. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. Just, you know grab the person who's most comfortable first and then coach everybody else into it and pretty soon you'll have a good rotation going
1: absolutely you
2: know, and make it fun
1: yeah yep well i did have another question but you know what i'll save it for another time because you really uh you, you really brought us you know you showed us the proof you got to the point you shared with us and our audience some really valuable lessons about um you know first and foremost how you're nurturing your prospects into leads, how you're really building that alignment with your sales team, um, your strategy in your content creation, using webinars as your main vehicle and kind of dispersing that webinar, that giant piece of content into other channels and into other pieces of content. So I I think that you've shared a ton of great value with us. So I'm not going to ask another question because I think you, like I said, you you. You showed us the proof you got to the point it's time now for the lightning round. So we're going to ask you a couple of questions here. Very easy, just kind of off the top of your head. Whatever comes to mind is kind of the kind of the vibe we're looking for. So um, question number one is what's the main KPI you use to evaluate marketing success?
2: Uh, close deals.
1: Okay. What's a new marketing strategy or tactic that you're looking to, to test out this year?
2: better uh connection between our systems so i can do better cradle to grave tracking of our opportunities from lead to close okay and assign money that we've generated to my campaigns automated instead of having to crunch the numbers
1: yep what's a tool or platform you use in your work that you couldn't live without
2: um hubspot i'm a hubspot junkie so (laughs) there are other platforms that do it too but i just i i love hubspot
1: all right. HubSpot, if you're listening, we'd love some sponsorship of this podcast. <laughs> um, what you can answer this in one of two ways. What is your favorite or what is your least favorite business word or phrase?
2: Oh, my, my favorite and least favorite is synergy. Um, when I use it a lot, though, as a way to point out when someone's using jargon, um, a lot of times people will try to make them sound smarter by using jargon. Or try to belittle someone with jargon and you just got to get over the fact that it's just jargon like it, they're just using a different language once you learn the words it's not that big a deal don't let people intimidate you with it so you know I say like okay yeah. well synergy 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 let's move on you know like okay
1: yeah synergy is one that we hear quite often on this show so i think marketers and and business people out there you know let's just strike synergy from our from our vocabulary
2: we all trying to make teams that work together and do good i understand that you want to use synergy to talk about that but you know really it's about teamwork that's that's what makes marketing and sales function nowadays because we're all doing 10 people's jobs
1: yeah yeah you
2: know?
1: um what is your favorite business or marketing book
2: so there's an inbound marketing um, by Halligan and Shaw, that was a really nice starter for me, and I think it's by one of the founders of HubSpot. Here, I have it on, I have a shelf of books I I've used and not used. Um, there you go. This one a lot, and then um, I have a lot <laughs> yeah. of these because they're a good way to get started. But they're I mean, you know, I I try not to I try to be humble and understanding that you don't know what you don't know. And no matter how much you do know, there's still going to be things you don't know. So I'm constantly trying to talk to other marketers and read and figure out what I don't know.
1: Absolutely. And along those same lines, uh, what are some of the podcasts that you listen to frequently?
2: So that's probably not a great question for me because I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. (laughs) I'm not a podcast person. Um, I listen to a couple of like nerdy podcasts for my side hobbies. Okay. But I don't tend to listen to... um, uh business podcasts
3: sure so what are, what are the ones you listen to for your side oh homies? no uh, <laughs> <laughs> you brought it up yeah.
2: so I'm, I'm a big nerd so i do a bunch of like little miniature games and stuff and i paint up my little toy guys and play games with them so uh not yet uh <laughs> I'm into like the games workshop warhammer world and some of the dungeons and dragons stuff that i've always done that i try to hide from all of my friends and
3: colleagues <laughs>
1: And yeah, and hope hopefully you might consider adding this one to your queue. Mike has some bonus round no questions.
3: So uh you and I have, have chatted for you know a couple of times before that. I know you're you're a martial arts guy. Who is your f- or what is your favorite martial arts movie?
2: Oh, um Wing Chung. Wing Chung. I got a friend that did Wing Chung and um Yip Man. I don't know if you anyone sees Man. He was Bruce Lee's teacher, and uh Wing Chung yep. is a, a very close in intense um it was originally thought it was a very passive style but chain fist disagrees um so uh it's just uh, I, I think especially in a self-defense standpoint it's a, a really cool style it's also the exact opposite of the kung fu i took which is a long fist kung fu so it's very big and big movements and wing Chun is very tight and small and intimate you know so that's that's what I would do.
3: It's it's a good one. I like that one.
1: Very cool. Well, Mike is is a big um martial arts enthusiast. <laughs> you we we won't we won't do that. This is a B2B marketing podcast. So, um Ben, we want to we know you have to to run soon, so we want to be uh sensitive to that. Um well, thank you so much for joining us today on the show and thank you for telling us a little bit more about your revenue-generating content strategy that has helped so much at DCS. Um, where can our listeners connect with you?
2: Uh, LinkedIn is the best spot, and I'm always happy to answer questions and chat with other marketers. If you're trying to do something and you're not sure where to start, I'll give you some advice and before I send you over to Proofpoint, you know? <laughs> but The, you tre-
1: know, the check uh, is in the mail.
2: <laughs> I mean, thank you. But, you know, a lot of times people need to get started before they have any money to actually spend on an agency. You know, I try to help advise anyone I can, you know, who's in that starter position where they don't have any money, but they're trying to get something going so they can get some money to then, you know, get some help.
3: Yeah. We, we can, we could probably have a whole separate episode just on that if we wanted to, but we'll, we'll leave, we'll leave that, we'll spare everybody.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And as, as marketers, we have to, you know, we're not in, you know, we are in competition with each other, but we're really not, we're, we're, we have to have that mentality that we can help more then take more, you know, and I think that's absolutely right. And uh, LinkedIn is the best place for that, to really create those those marketing camaraderie.
2: Find your local HubSpot group. They're in both major cities and towns. So and it's a great place to meet people who do marketing, even if you don't have anything to do with HubSpot and don't want to. Go anyway, because a yeah. lot of times they'll be talking about stuff that's, you know, agnostic, tool agnostic. So
1: Sure, yeah. That's a great recommendation. Well, Ben, thank you so much for joining us today on Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point. And thank you for everyone listening. We will be back next week with another episode.
2: All right. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. See you soon.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point podcast. Join us weekly for new episodes and seriously smart B2B marketing success stories. We'll show you the proof and get to the point every time. Find additional resources on the Proofpoint website, www.proofpoint.marketing, including the full episode library with show notes, guides, templates, and more great resources. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts.